Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Government is the problem. This will not stand. This will not stand, this aggression against uh, Kuwait. Indeed, I did have a relationship with Mr. Lewinsky that was not appropriate. America is a strong force for peace. I know the human being and fish can coexist peacefully. And my vice president has shot someone. Do you smell what Barack is cooking? You didn't build that. I'll give you all a big kiss, the women and the men. I'll, kiss. I'll even kiss the men. Kiss those big, powerful men. Sit down, you'll hear what I have to say. You're listening to the Oil & Gas Geopolitics Podcast, the show for those who want a spirited, irreverent, humorous, and occasionally informative discussion on the latest geopolitical issues that are impacting the energy sector today. Here is your host, Jordan Driscoll. This podcast is brought to you by my ghost sponsors, Petroledger Financial Services, purveyor of the finest outsourced oil and gas accounting and the location of my day job, where I serve as the VP of Sales and Marketing. We do APAR, JIP, break and sweat reporting, revenue disbursement, land division order work, you name it. If it's upstream or midstream, oil and gas accounting or land work, we got you covered. There will be a link in the show notes to our website. And the second is friend of the show, Arc Media. Arc Media helps companies connect with their customers through digital marketing like websites, social media, ads, SEO. Basically, they're an outsourced marketer. If you don't have a marketing team or if you need some extra firepower for your existing team, Arc Media is who you want to call. Their web address will be in the show notes below. It's not my company, but they have worked for me in the past and they have been great to work with. Welcome to the program, my huddled masses. I am the aforementioned Jordan Driscoll, your diminutive ATM of reckless opinion. Grab yourself a cup of coffee and let's get into it. So today uh, we are going to do a Q&A episode. It's been a, been a while since we've done one. I got some questions starting to pile up in my inbox. And so I grabbed um, like eight or ten of them and I'm just throwing them in here. We're going to we're going to see what we get. Now, as usual, when I do these Q&A episodes, I do not research any of these. I don't really look at the questions beforehand. Other, I give them a very brief skim to make sure uh, it's a real question or something. But um, other than that, I don't do any research. I don't do any. So it's just completely off the cuff. Whatever pops in my head is what you're going to get. So that's the, uh, that's the way I like to play these Q&As. So that being said, let's get into it. Question number one from good friend of the show and someone who writes in all the time. Love hearing from him. Uh, Lodvig, uh, saw your podcast coming in on the Russia-China divorce. They will not split up. I'll listen and likely disagree with you. Russia is already in the BRI debt trap. That's the Bridge and Road Initiative debt trap. Uh, They are not equal. China is leading and Russia is the underlying partner. Um... Yeah, I mean, you can disagree with me all you want. You might be right. I might be wrong. I might be right. You might be wrong. I don't know. Uh, I'll say this. I'll say this. So you're right about a couple of things here. Yes, Russia's already involved in the BRI debt trap. No doubt about that. And yes, especially after the debacle of the Ukraine war, um, China is the leading partner and Russia is the more subservient partner, so to speak. Um, I don't think... That was especially apparent until, you know, things started going badly in the Ukraine, that this was not a a marriage of equals, so to speak. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think I think that's a fair thing to say. Now, your position is you don't think they're going to split up and they're going to be in this thing for the long haul. 
I did a whole episode about why I think they they will eventually have a very messy, ugly divorce. I still stand by that. I still think that's the case. Could be wrong. History will prove one of us wrong, so we'll see. But um, but yeah, I just I think there's just too much bad blood there, and I think there's I, I think Vladimir Putin, especially after the Wagner uh, insurrection that just happened. I, he needs to show he's a strong man. And, you know, Russia does not like culturally playing second fiddle to anybody, you know, whether it's the U.S., whether it's China. I mean, you can go back tons and tons and tons of, you know, historical precedents have been set. But they don't like playing second fiddle to people. That's just not their jam. And so I don't see Russia being okay being publicly perceived as the the weaker partner in this partnership. I feel like they're going to want to make some sort of a play or there's going to be some sort of an issue where they have to... I just feel like that split's going to happen. And maybe not today, maybe not next year, maybe not even in the next five years, but I, I am just convinced before we hit 2050, probably well before then, there's going to be a messy breakup between those two. Um, yeah, I mean, I would say sometime in, in the next... 15 to 20 years is is when I think that's likely to key. And that's just, you know, that's just my take reading on the situation, right? I could be wrong. We'll see. But uh, appreciate you writing in. Appreciate your uh, thoughts. Glad you disagree with me. That's okay. We love that. All right. Whenever you mention temperatures on your show, are you talking Fahrenheit, Celsius, or Kelvin? Sometimes when you mention um, uh, distance, you do kilometers and miles. Yeah, so when I'm doing... Kilometer, I can kind of sort of um, mentally do the math ballpark to get me fairly close on how many kilometers. I'm in the U.S., obviously, so everything is miles in Fahrenheit. Um, so if I say a temperature, it's for sure Fahrenheit. Uh, I don't remember what show I was talking about temperature in, um, but, but evidently I did. So uh, I, I say lots of things on the show. I can't remember them all. But, you know, kilometers, I can kind of sort of get there on the, the equation in my head. I can't do the conversion in my head for um, Celsius and Fahrenheit uh, or, or Kelvin. I, what's zero degrees in Kelvin is like absolute zero, right? So uh, I really don't know that calculation. I, you know, I kind of sort of know that like 13 or 14 degrees Celsius is the equivalent to kind of like 40 or 50 degrees Fahrenheit. And I think like 33 or 35 degrees um, uh, Celsius is somewhere around 100 degrees, something like that. I know it's sort of in that ballpark, but I mean, everything in between, I have no idea how to get there. I can't, I can't do that math in my head. So if you hear me mention a temperature in the show and I don't say what it is, just assume that it is Fahrenheit because that's, that's the only way my brain works as far as temperature. Um, so yeah, eh, that's, a, that's a good one. What else we got here? What else we got here? Um, in your North Korea episode, you mentioned that North Korea only has a border with China. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I knew I was going to get busted on this one. Um, you mentioned they only have a border with China, but you forgot about the small 19-kilometer border that China or that Russia has with North Korea. Yeah, they do have this really, really tiny, obnoxiously small border. And when I say tiny, I mean it's it's 19 kilometers. That's 11 miles or thereabouts um, uh, with Russia. And so there is this really, really just narrow little strip of border between those two. And I I did forget that. I mean, got me. Mia culpa, mia culpa, mia culpa maxima. Um, that being said, I think everything I said in that show as far as, like, how the border dynamics work, I don't think there's a significant impact on Russia. I don't think that's a highly populated region. I don't think they have 
nearly the come-and-go trade arrangement with Russia that they have with China. So I don't think that border really changes um, anything that I said in that episode. But yes, to be fair, yeah, I, I forgot about that little love mile sliver of, uh, of border between the two. Um, oh, and you know what we forgot? The inaugural sip. Hang on here. I got, I got people that actually comment on that, and they'll go, oh, yeah, we got to get that, uh, that ASMR sip in there. Here we go. Mm. Yeah. Today it's not coffee. Um, I've already had – I'm recording in the middle of the afternoon, actually, which is a bit of an oddity for me. Um, but I've already had, like, two pots of coffee in me, and so I'm, uh, I'm having some Earl Grey tea right now, Captain Picard style. So that's what we're rolling with. So, yeah, anyways, back to the question. Yeah, I did forget about that little tiny border. It is there. That's correct. I don't think it changes anything, but it is what it is. Yeah. Okay, next. Uh, let's see. Do you ever worry about alienating your audience with your political beliefs? That's a good question. Um, the short answer is no, not really. Um, and I don't say that for cavalier egotistical purposes. I mean, first off, I think... As far as political beliefs go, I've I've trashed everybody. I mean, I just uh, – listen, here's the thing. If you've listened to this show any length of time, you all have figured out that my, my allegiance, my oath of office is not to a political party. It's to whatever the actual facts are, good, bad, or indifferent, and, um, and, and the humor, the funniness of it, right? I'm here to give you some information, give you the facts, try and do it in an entertaining fashion – uh, but also give you good facts and then let you guys, you know, kind of just decide what you think there. And when we're talking about my opinion, I think I'm pretty transparent with saying this is where we're talking about facts. This is where we're talking about what Jordan's uh, opinion. So anyway, um, yeah, I don't really worry about that. I mean, I have I've I mean, I've trashed Trump. I've trashed Biden. I've trashed, you know, hell. I like Ronald Reagan, and I did a whole episode bitching about you know his his part in Iran Contra, and I like Reagan, I like him a lot, but uh, you know he didn't get a free pass because I like him. No politician gets a free pass with me because I happen to like him. That's just not how I'm going to roll on this show. That's not how I am in real life. I don't have any loyalty in any political party. I did at one point identify as a Republican. I don't really anymore. Sometimes I'll vote for him if I think it's the right thing to do. Uh, and sometimes I do. I do an obsessive amount of research on candidates and their behavior and what they've said in the media, what they've actually done if they've ever been in legislation or an executive uh, position. Um, I, I would say that I do more research on my candidates than the majority of people easily. Um, and so, yeah, I take my, my vote incredibly seriously, probably obnoxiously so, really. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I I don't have any allegiance to any political party. Uh, not anymore. Um, I would like it if one day I could, but, you know, uh, some people got to clean up their act and start um, doing smarter shit than they are now before uh, they get me back on the bandwagon. And that's just me. Now, as far as alienating my audience, I think my audience knows this. If you've listened to the show, if you're a dedicated listener, none of this is surprising to you, at least as far as American politics go. Um and also, I, th I think from the interactions I've had with you guys, with my audience, uh, you guys seem like you're all – everyone I've talked to is intellectually honest. People are okay with disagreeing with me. That's fine. That doesn't hurt my feelings. Um, hopefully, I'm giving good facts and people will have something to think about. And um, maybe they agree with me, maybe they don't. But I don't think anybody's getting their feelings hurt. I think if you enjoy the show, awesome. Sometimes 
we're going to be on different sides of an issue. Sometimes we aren't. That's the beauty of this country is we get to have those disagreements. Um, so yeah, no, I don't really, I don't really worry about that. I think my audience is too good for that. I think they're they're too smart to be to be that easily um, bothered. Uh, at least the folks I've talked to, and I've I've been very lucky to get to you know get to have commentary from a number of my audience members. So yeah, no, I mean I I'm not worried about the. You guys are you guys are too good for that. You're not falling for that. You're going to be fine. And that's okay. And frankly, conversations with people I disagree with are way more interesting because there's a chance I might learn something and there's a chance I might teach them something. And so that's just way more that's way more appealing than an echo chamber. I don't really care for echo chambers. Um so yeah, that's kind of my thoughts on that, you know. I just it's not something that bothers me or I lose any sleep over. Um, all right, let's see what we got here. Do you ever have plans to have more guests on like you did with Paige and Mark? Yeah, so a while back, like a month or two months ago or something, uh, I did an episode uh, live at OTC. It was the first live show I've done. And I had Mark LaCour, business daddy Mark LaCour, and uh, Paige Wilson on, uh, co-hosting the show with me that episode because we were all there together, so it sounded fun. And um, would I have more? So so this is interesting. Um the short answer is yes. I would have guests on. I don't have a moratorium on that. That's not something I've like. Uh, I, I'm against. Um, I don't go out of my way to do it because that inv- <laughs> because it sounds like hard work, and I I would I get much more enjoyment out of going through and doing the research to put the show together than I do trying to like go and find somebody to be on the show. Like if somebody reaches out to me, like, hey, can I be on your show? If I think there's somebody that can keep up and have good banter and we can have a good conversation about an issue, whether we're on the same side or we disagree with it, I don't really care. Like, by all means, you want to come on and we can have a good conversation? Yeah, I'm all for having having guests on. Um, but I'm not going out trying to find anybody. Like, I <laughs> – you know, this show's a little different than most of the shows on the network in that you're getting a 30 to 45-minute um, – monologue or uh, homily from me, right? This show, when I when I kind of conceptualized it, I really didn't expect to have a lot of guests on most of the time, and it was going to be built around me just talking about a subject. Um, but yeah, no, I would love, still love to have the occasional guest on here and there. I think it'd be fun. I just, I, I don't, you know, if I have to pick between putting together a show and doing like a lot of research and doing an interesting topic that's educational and all that, and finding a humorous and informative way of presenting it, I'm going to do that every time as opposed to go out and try and hunt down uh, a guest to have on. Like, basically, Mark and Paige got on my show because they happened to be in the same place as me at the same time, and it sounded like a fun idea. Like, that's it. That's how that happened. There was very little pre-coordination. You know, I think Paige maybe suggested the idea since I was going to be down in the same place as them, and I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, we could do that. So... Yeah, I would certainly certainly do that, but I mean, uh, I, I I don't know when it'll happen because I just don't go out of my way to make it happen. Um, one thing that's interesting about that, though, I don't know if I've ever told this story uh, on the show, but when we were first putting the show together, Mark and I, and we were pitching it to our initial sponsor, the Empowerment Alliance, um, well, actually, even before the Empowerment Alliance came on, uh, we were, you know, talking, we were trying to put the show together and I was kind of trying to explain what I wanted to do with it and all that. And, you know, I mean, hell, we're, what, 25 episodes in. I mean, I'm still learning. I'm a newbie at this. So, I mean, you know, it's always going to be a growing, evolving thing. 
But at the time, you know, OGGM predominantly had like interview driven podcasts as far as most of the ones I've ever heard. And so saying, oh, yeah, I'm going to have the show where I'm just going to talk for a while about a thing um, and it's going to deal with geopolitics. It spooked a lot of people. A lot of people were kind of very nervous about sponsoring a show about something political related uh, and just having some guy yakking into the microphone for a while. I just didn't, you know, oh, is this guy going to be alienating people on the left? Are they going to be alienating people on the right? Well, it, surprise, surprise, when I alienate everybody, not really, um, except for North Korea, Turkey, a few of the more authoritarian regimes that kind of pissed them off, China, and got them in the back, Russia. But by and large, no. I mean, I'm not... You know, I think where this works is I'm not really on anybody's side except for what the facts are, and then I didn't give my opinion. And that worked pretty well with the Empowerment Alliance. Like, they were very on board with it once we got the show rolling. But a lot of folks prior to them coming on were very, um, very nervous about that, right? But what's funny is when OGGN, you know, when Mark sort of announced that he was doing this show and we were going to launch this, um, I actually started getting reached out to by uh, chiefs of staff or press officers or whatever for uh, Congress people. Um, and I can't remember necessarily, I'd have to go back and look at my emails. They weren't any of the big names. You know, it wasn't like a Ted Cruz or uh, anything like that. But there were some Congress people, I think it's the state legislatures and maybe uh, um, uh, at the federal level too, as I recall, who had kind of were reaching out saying, well, hey, you're putting together this this oil and gas geopolitics podcast, and we'd love to have our person on to talk about whatever. And um, I said, yeah, you know, when we'd have the conversations, well, let me get a few episodes knocked out. Let me kind of get my rhythm, my, you know, my comfort level. Let me get okay being in front of the microphone and talking into it. Uh, let me get comfortable with this. And then, yeah, let's let's figure this out. That'd be perfectly fine. I'd love to, you know, have a congressman on or a senator or something and chit-chat with them. Uh, and it's funny, after the first, like, handful of episodes came out, no one ever reached back out about getting on. And I think, you know, I mean, if you look at my first three episodes, it was um, uh, the first Russia-Ukraine war episode I did. There was the Yemen oil uh, tanker thing, the uh, FSO Saffir episode I did, and then the third was like the budget, uh, uh, the debt ceiling, right? The budget. And I think that one is the one that sealed the deal. Like all of a sudden, these congressmen weren't interested in coming on the show because they're like, oh, you called us out for not doing enough to control the budget, the Republican congressman. You guys, you kind of called us out on that. I don't know if I want to go on the show. It might not be a safe harbor. Now, no one ever said that to me. No one ever, you know, just the contact died off. But I, I think, I believe, and I have no hard evidence of this, but I believe what happened is this did not turn into like a pro-hard-right propaganda piece. This did not turn into a pro-hard-left propaganda piece. This did not... You know, I was I was slamming everybody for anything they were doing wrong. It didn't matter who it was. And I think all of a sudden, you know, a lot of congressmen were like, I don't know if I feel comfortable being on the microphone with somebody that might actually ask some tough questions and might, you know, not necessarily just be a mouthpiece for me. Uh, now, again, I don't have any evidence of that's the case. That's just how it feels to me of the timing of when all this contact stopped. So... I would still love to have some folks on. I mean, I'm not going to bring on a, a congressman and just berate them. That would be rude and obnoxious, and that's not what we're here for. But, yeah, I mean, if a congressman wanted to show up and have 
an intellectually stimulating conversation. I really like dig down on this stuff and they're comfortable with the fact that I might or might not agree with them on things, then cool, let's do this. Like I'd love to have them on, but I, I think, um, I think, you know, that, that all just kind of vanished pretty early on. So, um, you know, it is what it is, but yeah, as far as guests go, if someone wants to be on, I would certainly have them. Um, as long as they can, they can keep up and keep it light, but you know, intelligent and all that, I think. Uh, so we'll see. We'll see. I, I, yeah, I'm probably going to try and get some guests on at some point. I just, like I said, I just, uh, if I'm picking between doing research or like going out and trying to like track down somebody to, to, to ask them to come on here, I just, I'm not going to kill myself over it. You know, they'll, uh, you know, someone wants to be on there. Let me know. That might be the wrong attitude to have, but, uh, it's fine. That's the show's not built around that. So it's not hurting us. I don't think, um, Okay, next question. What do you think of the Hunter Biden situation? <laughs> um, <clears throat> uh, I don't. <laughs> so here's, uh, for those of you that are not in the U.S., um, which I have a surprising number of listeners that are not in the U.S., um, Hunter Biden is the son of the current president, Joe Biden. And to put it in the most succinct possible terms I can, he is the family fuck-up. Um, and I think as far as what do I think of that's it. He's, he's the family fuck-up. Um, I don't think there's anything nefarious there. I don't think he's like an agent for a foreign power doing anything like that. I think he's just a dipshit. He just does stupid stuff. He's a druggie. He does skeezy stuff. He's a douchebag. I mean, all the things. That's That's what I think of him. Um, I know he just pled guilty to like uh, some misdemeanor tax issues or something. I mean, it was you know okay, yeah, fine, you know, charge him a hundred thousand dollars, whatever. Um, I don't think he's smart enough to have leveraged his father in any really meaningful way. And again, I haven't done any research on the hundred, but it just it doesn't interest me. This has a similar vibe to me. As because um, it was what Jimmy Carter had like a dipshit brother that was always causing mischief for him when he was president. Um, George W. Bush, when he was president, his daughters got arrested a couple of times for underage drinking and having a fake ID at parties and this kind of thing. Um, and it, to me, this is kind of in the same vein. Just some kids in the family are acting like jackasses, and it doesn't have anything to do with anything. It's a distraction, and I don't care. Now, I will say, hands down. Um, <laughs> Jenna and Barbara Bush uh, have nothing on the obnoxious behavior of Hunter Biden. I mean, the man is a grade-A douchebag. There's there's no two ways about it. You know, Jenna and Barbara were just a couple of kids that were living their best college life. Who among us hasn't drank underage, okay? Who among us hasn't had a fake ID we used to get into a bar, okay? Um, that's just – that's clown-ass – college stuff that you do, all right? There's nothing shocking about any of that. Oh, but their father's the president. Yeah, they're still teenagers, man. They're going to do teenager shit. What do you expect? Um, uh, Hunter Biden, he's just a douchebag, okay? Like, he's got, if and again, I'm memory here, so I may be a little off on some of this, but I mean, he's got, you know, a history of drug abuse. He's got, uh, he cheated on his wife with his dead brother's former wife, whom he's now married to. He got discharged from the Navy after like three months for failing a drug test with cocaine. I mean, the guy's just a, he's a roving clusterfuck. The guy's an omni-shambles. But he's also just a distraction. That has nothing to do with anything. I don't spend any time thinking about Hunter Biden. I don't get my panties in a wad over him. 
Uh, he's just a douchebag. That's it. Um, that's what I think. All right. Jordan, what do you think of the attempted coup on Russia? Oh, boy, oh, boy. So first off, I think we can all take a minute and collectively say, yep, I kind of called this like, what, six months ago when we started the show. I think I said something about this was a likely outcome on episode one. Um, and granted, that didn't take any magic divination. I think, you know, anybody who thought about it would get there. Um, I think uh, I'm surprised it was Wagner, the mercenary group that, um, that you know, marched on the Capitol. And I'm also surprised how quickly it de-escalated. Uh, I don't know what – so I've actually been thinking about this for the past day or two because this is all just happening. I probably will obviously do an episode on this uh, situation I started doing some research on it, actually, and it was very hard to get any kind of... There's just so few facts. We don't know. There's tons of this story we don't know. We don't know the full details of what um, the head mercenary guy got from Putin to stand down. We don't know what the deal looks like. Uh, I don't know what... With Putin's track record of whacking people that he doesn't like or who have ever, you know, quote-unquote betrayed him. I don't know what he could possibly have promised this guy to make him stand down and legitimately think that Putin wasn't just going to slip some uranium in his tea one night. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I, I couldn't get there mentally. I could never trust, you know, I feel like once you make the decision to march an army on Moscow uh, and against Vladimir Putin, you're just, you're committed to the long haul, and it only ends with one of two outcomes is kind of how I would see that. So I don't know what that deal is, and I feel like we kind of need to know that. But as soon as I have a little bit more information, yeah, I'll probably be doing an episode about that um, because I think it's fascinating and was probably a very predictable outcome, uh, you know, as this war dragged on. I'll say this. I'll say this. I don't think we've seen the last of – those kinds of problems in Russia. I think this was the first crack. I do not think this was the big break. Um, yeah. And I think the longer this goes on, and, you know, how is this going to affect Ukraine with their counteroffensive abilities and what are they going to do? What happens to all the Wagner soldiers who are the best equipped and best trained they had? Uh, I don't know. I don't know. But I'll tell you what, I don't think this is the end of it. I think uh, Putin's got some very serious problems internally, and I think he knows it. And I think... I think it's very possible we're about to see him make some really erratic, weird decisions um, in an attempt to appear strong and in control of things. And um, that could get real hairy real fast for a lot of people. Um, But beyond that, I don't know. Uh, I I think it's going to get a lot weirder before it gets better. And, yeah, we'll do an episode on that one for sure. Um, Probably, you know, once we have a little bit more data to go off of. Uh, let's see. What's next on the list here? What do you think of the Texas Supreme Court ruling giving ERCOT sovereign immunity for being sued over the 2021 Snowvid event? Okay. All right. So a little backstory for my non-Texans and my non-U.S. brethren and sisteren. Um, ERCOT, E-R-C-O-T, is the Energy Reliability Council of Texas, I think is what it stands for, which is an ironically uh, named organization since, well, I've got some, listen, if anybody from ERCOT listens to this program, which seems unlikely, but if you do, I was out of power for four, power and water for four days uh, 
during this whole Snowvid event, okay? And um, I'm still salty about that because the quote-unquote rolling blackout wasn't rolling. They just shut my neighborhood off. But the dividing line was the next street over so I could see other houses with heat and power that had power literally the entire time while I was sitting in my little McMansion freezing my ass off. So I got some beef with ERCOT. Now, I never tried to sue him or anything, um, but I am pissy with him because that really annoyed me. It wasn't rolling. It wasn't on for an hour off for three hours, anything like that. It was just boom, no power, no water, four full days and nights. Um, and a few streets over, that neighborhood had power literally the entire time. So, yeah, real pissed off about that. Uh, in fact, if anybody from ERCOT listens to this show, I you should write me an explanation of why the fuck that happened. That's what I want to know. Well, how did this situation occur? Anyway, we'll get back to that. Anyway, so uh, back to what the rest of the listeners want to know rather than Jordan's little rant there. So ERCOT is this private uh, nonprofit organization that is contracted by the state of Texas, for lack of a better word, to manage power generation in the state of Texas and the Texas power grid. Uh, there's a whole lot of boring, maybe not so boring, historical precedents as to why this exists and why Texas is in its own power grid and not part of the larger national power grid, but I don't have all the history in front of me to go into that. Um, but at any rate, uh, ERCOT kind of went from being an obscure state-level bureaucracy to um, the stink at my table. Um Back during 2021, during an event we like to call Snowvid, um, basically the state of Texas got hit with effectively what we would consider a blizzard, and it got wildly cold for a long time. Again, relative for us. <clears throat> if you live in Maine, I know you're laughing, but um, <laughs> my Canadian listeners are like, "Fuck off, Jordan." It wasn't that bad. Listen, man, y'all have snow plows, y'all have salt, you guys have a working heating grid, uh, evidently. Um, but yeah, down here in, uh, in Texas that we just, we have none of that, you know, roads were iced over. There was nothing to it. It was, uh, you know, and the power, so basically the power grid got overloaded with people trying to heat their homes effectively and the cold weather, the equipment presumably was not, uh, weatherized for that level of cold. And so it started shutting down and that just, it brought the whole state to its knees for several days. And, um, so now I have this other governmental bureaucracy, uh, quasi-corporation that I loathe, very close to the same level as my feelings on the IRS and TSA. At any rate, um, so yes, that's the backstory for my non-Texas, non-American listeners there. Uh, ERCOT runs the power grid. It got really wicked cold. Power grid shut down during this basically blizzard. And a number of people actually died. I mean, I, I got off pretty easy. I was just really wicked cold for several days and bitchy. But people died. Like, you know, hospitals lost power and people died from the cold and all this sort of stuff. It wasn't good. Uh, and I think the numbers I heard, it was, it was you know, maybe a hundred or a couple hundred or something. It was a larger number than should die of cold in Texas. Um, you know, if you tell me that... Uh, you know, a hundred people died of cold up in like the Yukon territories. I'd go, well, it's fucking cold up there, man. Like, yeah, that seems pretty, pretty brisk up there. I wouldn't be surprised, but nobody dies of hypothermia in fucking Texas. That's just not a thing that's, that's done. Okay. Um, so aside from violating the laws of physics, effectively, 
uh, a lot of people got pissed off, more so than me even, and sued ERCOT. And the case has gone all the way to the Supreme Court. And um, uh, the Supreme Court ruled recently, I think within the past week or something, that um, ERCOT has sovereign immunity because they're contracted by the government, so they can't be sued over the failure of the power grid or any of the outcomes. Um, yeah, I think sovereign immunity is uh, – the concept of sovereign immunity should exist. Um, you know, the state can't always be sued over its actions if its actions were in the best interest of the nation and that kind of thing. But I think sovereign immunity gets really overplayed, really overdone. Um, so uh, I, I don't think – I haven't read the court case on this. I haven't read the decision and how the judges got there. I probably will look it up a little later on today because I'm kind of curious, but I don't see how a private corporation that is contracted with the government is entitled to sovereign immunity. Um, I don't I don't follow how they get there, and I don't know that I agree. And also, I don't know that I like the idea of sovereign immunity just being so easily handed out to just any old anyone um, that the uh, the government wants to shield themselves with. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, on paper right now, right this second, knowing as little about the decision as I do, um, I think it pisses me off, and I don't think they should have it. Now, uh, as I've said before, and you all know, I'm going to have to actually do some research and figure out, like, how the judges got to that conclusion, and maybe my opinion will change on that. But certainly from an emotional standpoint, I am underwhelmed with ERCOT, and I'm annoyed that they did not have to pay uh, some consequences for this. Uh, so... Yeah, you know, it'll be interesting to see how that goes. Not not necessarily thrilled, though. Okay, what do we got? Okay, two more left. Are you going to do an infamous scandals episode on Deepwater Horizon? So this is actually on my list. I have a list, and I've already chewed through a handful of them, but I have a few more on my list of infamous scandal episodes that I want to do. And this is on the list, but it's kind of low down, to be honest. Um, I've read... A little bit on Deepwater Horizon, and um, not to be disrespectful to the you know ten or twelve folks that died on that, um, but I I don't know what the hook is, what the scandal necessarily was. I guess maybe they were lying about some safety. I mean, I don't know. I haven't done my research on it yet. It's on my list, uh, but it has not grabbed me yet. Um, there have been too many other things that I think are more interesting. You know, I thought Teapot Dome was more interesting. Enron was more interesting. Uh, all of that. Uh, Deepwater Horizon just hasn't grabbed me yet. Um, now, granted, if there are a lot of you guys listening to this who have some insight on Deepwater Horizon. You're like, listen, you need to put this at the top of your list and look into it because it's really interesting. Then by all means, let me know and I'll do that. But thus far, I've just... When I look at the list of, of Scandals episodes I want to do, that one just keeps drifting to the bottom because other ones just look more more appealing, more exciting, more kind of wild and interesting. Um, you know, like uh, a couple weeks ago I did an episode, um, or maybe it was last week. or It was last week, wasn't it? God, time. Where are we at? What day? Is this a work day? Yeah. Anyway, I did um, you know a little bit of a talk on the uh, situation in South Africa with the South African – uh, energy uh, coal companies and how like wildly in the pocket of the local gangs they were. To me, that seems really fascinating. And now I'm like actively as we're speaking, I'm doing research and putting a show together around that. 
um, because that just is wild how um, how that's gone. And so, yeah, you know, that wasn't even on my radar until I read that news article, and now I'm doing this deep dive, deep dive and it's it's fascinating. And so that's pushed Deepwater Horizon just that much further down the list. So unless somebody – I'll get there eventually. It'll happen for sure. Um, but uh, I – I, unless somebody like highlights something about it that's really wild that really grabs my attention, I'm not. It's I'll get to it when I get to it. Um, yeah, so that's that's where we're at. But I, yeah, it is my intention to do it at some point um, for sure. Okay, last question. Uh, okay, good. Back to us. God, I'm gonna be glad when this election cycle's over. Um, so much, so much uh, about elections. Okay, so how do you feel about Ron DeSantis as a presidential candidate? How do you think it, he will be for the U.S. energy sector if elected? Um, so I honestly don't know that I have an opinion on DeSantis yet. Um, and I mean that just completely honestly. I I like knee-jerk reactions sort of like he strikes me as a little like he's more experienced than like say Trump like he was in Congress I think he's been the governor of a state so I mean he's got that going for me he knows how the machine works which you know is a good thing and a bad thing in my opinion um I don't really know enough about his stated policies to know how I feel about him. I don't know enough about how he's acted as governor, how he acted as a congressman. I just haven't deep dive into all of his voting history. And like, well, like I said before, when I research somebody before, you know, when I research a ballot before we, an election, I spend about a month beforehand, like basically just doing insane amounts of research on every candidate that I might vote for and really picking apart um, how I feel about them. And, you know, I don't know if I said this earlier or not, but I'm the most critical of the people that I want to support the most. I'm going to bust them really, really hard. And I'm going to, you know, the things I want to believe in, those are the things I'm going to, I'm going to really pick apart to make sure it stands up. Um, or if, if maybe I'm just wrong and I don't need to, to think that way. Um, so I haven't done that with DeSantis yet because I really wasn't going to waste my time researching him until, until he, you know, threw his hat in the ring. And he has now, but I'm, you know, we're still a ways from the primary, so I'm not too, too concerned. Um, I think he, I mean, I believe last I read he was polling second place behind Trump still, although I think Trump's taken a hit since um, some of the indictment stuff has come out. Uh, I, I'll tell you this. My mother lives in Florida, and she absolute, absolutely, she is the most Ron DeSantis she loves DeSantis. And I mean, she is, we've literally, this is funny, like a week or two ago, we were having a conversation, it was right before I recorded an episode, she's like, are you going to vote for DeSantis? And I was like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know enough about him yet to make that call. And she goes, well, I think you ought to. I'm like, okay, duly noted. Well, I think he's just great. Okay, mom, like, settle down. I, I will look into it and I'll make a determination when we get closer there. But she's all in. She is all in for DeSantis. Um, but yeah, I just I haven't I haven't looked into him enough to to honestly say I just don't know yet I don't have an opinion on him yet. Um, I know he's got some sort of a pissing match with Disney happening, uh, I, you know, and I kind of sort of know the details on that, but I'm not, you know, okay, yeah, whatever. Like it's it has nothing to do with anything on this end. Um, as far as energy policy, I I don't know anything about where he stands on energy. My assumption is at a bare minimum. He is going to um, 
he's probably going to, at the very least, uh, you know, toe the party line of the GOP on energy-related issues, which is to say the GOP, by and large, says that they are pro-oil and gas, and they uh, purport to do things in support of that position. Now, I say that very hedgingly because, as we all know from doing research and some of the episodes I've done, the lip service paid by the GOP to oil and gas and the actual amount of actionable help they give that industry and the actual good they do is oftentimes very fucking debatable and it's oftentimes very much pantomime. Um, so I don't get all head over heels about, oh, the GOP loves oil and gas. Well, I mean, some of them do their best, but a lot of times it's just lip service and I'm not, I'm not going to fawn over them for um, any of that. Uh, but I assume at the very least DeSantis will be towing the party line on that stuff. And until I do more research and kind of see, you know, how he voted on things and what his directives have been as governor and all that, you know, that'll – that'll the facts will mold my opinion of DeSantis in any kind of a um, presidential candidate capacity. So at this point, I don't know. What I will say is as we get further along in this cycle, whether I want to or not, I'll probably wind up doing a lot of deep diving on these guys. And if that's something you guys – as we get closer to elections, want me to weigh in on, I will. Um, yeah, but yeah, I mean, I, you know, I, <laughs> you know, I, I don't want to talk to Sanders with my mom because I know that uh, if I do wind up looking into that rock and just finding a whole lot of stuff that I have to bust him on, that's just going to piss her off and I'm not looking forward to that fight. On the other hand, I might look into that rock and he might be a solid guy who, um, who I can agree with. So I don't know. I don't know. But, um, yeah, I'll, I'll check them out. You know, I'll see. But I don't have an opinion yet because I just don't have enough – I don't have enough context on the guy. I don't have enough background on him to really know. So there we go. That is uh, – those are the 10 questions I've taken out of the stack for today. Still got a few more in there, but I'll let them bank up a little bit higher, and then we'll do another one of these in a month or two. Um, as always, guys, please feel free to send in questions. I love uh, getting to read them. I do read them all. I don't always respond. I try to, but um, you know, the day job keeps me pretty busy and, and all of that. But I do read every one of these, and I will oftentimes like slip one off to the side uh, for a show idea or whatever. So I love hearing from you guys. Hit me up on LinkedIn. Hit me up on my email, uh, jordan.driscoll at OGGN dot com um or you can find me on linkedin as several of you all have done and um upcoming shows like i said i'm going to probably put out that uh, south african one here in the near future probably in the next week or so and um you know unless something else pops up and um, you know hopefully i'll have that um that russian coup thing uh hammered out here when we get a little bit closer too so that's some stuff to look forward to uh as always, a pleasure getting to sit down and chat with you guys, and um, pleasure having you guys listen to the show. That's what we had for tonight. As usual, this is Jordan Driscoll reminding you, if you've got a question, just ask. See you guys in the next Join us again next week on the Oil & Gas Geopolitics Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. To learn more, go to OGGN.com. 